All right, well, I'm only going to apologize a little bit for dragging you out on the evening that the Warriors are playing. Um, it wasn't intended to be that way, but if you roll with me, you'll find out. I think when we first started, my very first members meeting um, was the evening that uh, the Warriors first won, and uh, that wasn't planned. And uh, so since then, it just seems that we have events that come up on key game nights. So, uh, but I do believe that we have something of greater eternal value for you this evening. And so just starting on that note, you know, what is it that draws us out to put Warriors gear on or Giants gear on or Celtics or Lakers gear on and go to the stadium and shout like maniacs and get all excited about a leather ball going through a hoop. I once worked with a physician, and he used to tell me he used to be transformed into a completely different personality when he would come up for Raiders games. He would fly up from L.A. and get all his black and silver gear on and go berserk and then come back and be a completely normal and civilized person in the office. Well, I'm going to put forward to you, it does tie together with this theme of career and dating and work. There is a desire in every person's heart to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's what fills stadiums. And that's why we cheer for something that, when you think about it, we don't have a lot of connection to, but there's a big emotional connection. It's why we put the gear on, why we put the hats on. It's why do we go to certain colleges. It's why we get certain careers. It's sometimes why we date. There's this desire that we have in our hearts to be part of something that is greater than ourselves. Uh, no one particularly that I know of in this world likes to be alone for an extended period of time. And more often than not, people like to be associated with winners, um, whether that's in their careers or their churches or their ministries. And I would propose to you, as we go to Scripture this evening, the reason for that is that is the way the Lord has created us. Um, we're not going to read a lot of Genesis 1 through 3, but I'm going to encourage you to go through there. There's enough material, as I went through this, that we could be here for an entire weekend to go through what God's Word has to say about career, work, and dating. But when you go back to the beginning, the fundamental heart of things is that God created you for something more than just yourself. And you will always be looking for that because that's what the Lord has put in your heart. That is how you're framed. That is how you're made. We weren't made to be alone when God created Adam and he pointed out it is not good for Adam, for a man to be alone. And he actually brings Adam into a place where Adam is able to see that for himself. That there is a need to be part of something significantly greater than ourselves. The world doesn't revolve around us. But as we come to God's word, that greater thing, and thing is a terrible word, isn't it? It's actually a greater person. Our lives are to be about God, and it's to be about his kingdom. He created us for that purpose. That's why we join delight in worshiping things. But if it isn't going to be God, and it's not going to be his kingdom... It's going to be our work, it's going to be our career, it's going to be our relationships, it's going to be our families, or it's going to be the Golden State Warriors, or the Dodgers, or the Raiders, or whatever else is out there that's going to give us some sort of identity, a feeling of connection, and a feeling that we're living for something that is meaningful and purposeful and more important than ourselves. I once worked with a fairly successful business person, and that business person told me that their marriage when it was having a really rough time, what saved that person's marriage was the Showtime era Lakers. That even though that there was conflict in the home, and even though the spouse and, you know, the, as far as their marriage, they weren't talking with one another, they were living separate lives. But when playoff time came and Magic Johnson was playing, they would gather together, they would be on the couch together, they would cheer, they would have wins together, they would have something to talk about, and they viewed genuinely that the Lakers is what brought them through. Now, brothers and sisters, I say this because church can be that way for you, too. Church can be the band-aid to fill a hole in your life. But God didn't create church to fill that hole in your life. 
Because we're sinners, he gives you something much better, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes in, he reorientates everything. And when he's center, career dating and work find their proper place, and they do have a sweet place in our lives, and that's what we're going to deal with this evening. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Where I'm going tonight, we're going to start with foundations, okay? Then we're going to look at Jesus and what Jesus has to say about career work and dating. And then we're going to look at some practical questions that we should consider in our own lives as we think about career, work, and dating. And then we'll close out, because we're studying a book in book club on heart and habit, some of the heart and habit issues that uh, speak to our lives, our work lives, our dating lives, and our careers. Okay. JC, I'm going to ask you if you would come up, please, and read uh, verses 1 through 14 for us of Colossians. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing from a prison likely in Rome, around 60 to 62 AD, and this is coming out maybe at the same time that Ephesians is coming out, and a number of his prison epistles are happening. All right, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid, out, laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, JC. Well, the Apostle Paul begins with giving thanks for the Christians in Colossae. And what does he give thanks for? for their marriages, their families, their homes, their cars. He gives thanks for their faith in Christ. And then he goes on and explains what a remarkable thing this is, their faith in Christ, how it's been accomplished, and why it is a miraculous work of God and a gift of the gospel. And then in verse 9, he begins to tell them what he's been praying for them. Okay. How do we pray for one another? What are we praying for one another? Well, he explains what he has been praying for them. What is the burden on his heart for them? And he closes out that prayer with thanksgiving. And that closure of prayer at the very end is what the Lord has done for them. Giving thanks, verse 12, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he lays this foundation for them of why they're different. And it's entirely what the Lord has done. And then he's going to unpack for them through the rest, you know, the answer to this prayer, how they're to walk worthy of the gospel, how they're to live 
how they're to work, how they're to relate together, how they're to date or court or however it was at that time, all of those things, why those things are going to be profoundly different for them. And there's a really simple reason. Because they are no longer in the domain of darkness. God has come and he's delivered them through the gospel and he's brought them into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. And so now they're kingdom citizens and it's as different as how you applied for a job, let's say, if you were living in Mexico, how you would date or court if you were living in Mexico, how you would pursue a career if you were living in Mexico, as opposed to Sweden or Finland, where it would be worlds apart in many different ways, where you'd have to learn a completely new language, where the system would work completely different, the education system and the credentialing that you would have to do, all of those different things. It would be like day and night. And so I raise this because we need to stop many times and say, okay, how do I think about, and there's a big relationship I think you're going to see, work and career and dating. If you're anything like me, you're born in a Christian home, child of Asian immigrants, you come up, there's a whole hodgepodge of different things. And maybe you pray about your career and think about it, but there's a whole mixture of different things that go in. But I would propose to you that more often than not, what informs the standards of the colleges we apply to, the careers that we do, who we choose to date, what we choose to pursue, more often than not, you know, if we end up in a good place, it's God's grace. Many times it's a, a mix of different things. Can I have my first slide, please? Thanks. And I would say for many of us, okay, when you think of what job do you apply for? What career do you pursue? Who do you pursue to date? Okay, it's not uncommon that some of the things that come up on the top of the list is desire. Do I desire to be in this career? Do I desire to do this work? Do I desire to be with this person? Right? Do I lie or do we just go out with people who we absolutely hate and don't want to spend any time with? Okay? Compatibility. There are the three unholy C's. Comfort, chemistry, and compatibility. Okay? Do I have the skill set to do this job? Am I able to do it? Is it a fit? Okay? Is there chemistry? You know, you know, does it work? Is it fairly comfortable or is it a path of pain on a regular basis? Many of the same considerations that we have for work and why we choose jobs and careers, I think you'll find they're similar to some of the things that come up when we have considerations of who we date and who we don't date, right? And then one other consideration, okay, well, what's the reward? Maybe this is painful as far as education goes. Maybe this is painful as far as a relationship goes, but is it worth it? Does it give me a good work-life balance? Does it pay me significantly, even though it's painful? Is it a really enjoyable place to work in, even though perhaps I don't get paid a whole lot? When we talk with people, and I happen to be the recipient of many people who come and say, okay, I'm looking at a new job, I'm looking... These are typically the things that go through many people's minds, both in dating and in choosing a career. And the reason that there's similarities, and I did all of these things too, okay, is at the end of the day, it's really about me. And it's really Genesis 3, where we're looking for our own kingdom, and what's the best kingdom I can get? What's the best kingdom I can get in this marriage? What's the best kingdom I can get as far as this home? What's the best kingdom I can get in this job or career? What is going to get me to my goals? And James 3 and 4 refers to this, and I know this is going to sound unpleasant, but it refers to it as selfish ambition. What is going to put me in the place where I think I deserve to be, where I want to be, or what's going to work best for me? And eventually that becomes what works best for my family, my marriage, all my other things. Okay, do I lie? I don't think so, okay? But you're free to say I'm 
full of, I don't know, pumpkin or apple cider or whatever, okay? But that is, that is a tendency, and even in the church, it just switches. Even when it comes to ministries, I'll hear people say, well, I really feel God is leading me into this ministry. Why are they leading you in this ministry? Well, this is where I'm gifted, or this is what I know how to do, or, you know, I'm not really gifted to do this other ministry. You know, I, that, that particular area is not, you know, admin or this, that, or the other thing I'm not gifted. I really believe God's leading you here. I say, well, why is God leading you here? Well, because everything's set up, the opportunities came in, it just seems to be highly effective, people really seem to respond well, okay? Now, listen, we, we've all walked down that path, but once again, at the end of the day, it's all about you, your giftedness, your compatibility, your desires, and your reward. It doesn't have a lick to do with Jesus. And so many times I'll tell brothers when they share that with me, say, hey, brother, I hear what you're saying, but please don't say the Lord is leading you. We use that term, the Lord is leading me, when we're going in a direction that we feel is right for ourselves, and we can tack on a couple of Bible verses and it's a big fat lie that is going to bring destruction in the same way it brought Adam and Eve destruction. Because when you listen to Paul's prayer and how he speaks to the Colossians, and he's going to go on in Colossians 3, I think, in, in the passage that J.C. read from, where he talks about doing everything to the glory of God, we see that that paradigm, my desire, my compatibility, my skill, my rewards, is completely backwards. It's everything we find in Genesis 3. And when we see that Christ dies for us and he calls us into discipleship and he takes us, as Colossians says, out of that kingdom where it's all about me, he brings us into God's kingdom. He brings us into the place where to be, where we're back. And what Jesus is doing is he's bringing us back to what the garden was, the way it was supposed to be before our sin disrupted everything. And how was career, work, and dating in Genesis 1 and 2. Well, the, the very things that we hear Paul talking about in Colossians chapter 1, that he begins praying for the Colossian Christians. He wants them to know God's wisdom and his will for their lives. How are you going to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? Here's this God who has loved you. He's brought you into this relationship. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's brought you into his kingdom. He's made you a child. He's adopted you. He's brought you into this family. How do you know what to do in this family? Well, there's only one way. You need to know the one who brought you into that family. You need to learn from him. You need to be shown what it is that pleases him because what pleases him is good for you. Now, we understand that in families, right? Julie will tell you that when we first got married, I bought her any number of terrible gifts. I spent a lot of money on it, okay? But they were huge misses, you know? And the harder I tried, the worse it was because I was really missing the mark in a big way. Why? Well, I didn't know her. As time goes on and through those, and by God's grace as you go through those, and the Lord uses it to graciously humble you, you realize, okay, well, I don't, I've got a long way to go in really understanding Julie's heart and what's important to her and what's not important to her. And, you know, guys, most husbands go through that. It takes time. And at 13 years of marriage, I still have a long way to go, and I'm still learning. And at the point we ever think we understand our wives completely, we're fools, right? Because God created them, not us. But in a similar way, when you walk through and you see what Paul's doing in this church with Colossians, where they're new believers, he's brought them into the kingdom through the gospel. It's Christ who's done that. And he's showing them, look, the economy and the culture in the kingdom is completely different. God has brought you in to be a part of his kingdom, and his kingdom is good. He's brought you in to be part of his agenda. His will is perfect. He knows the end from the beginning, just like Adam he knows the perfect fit for you as far as work goes, and he also knows the perfect fit for you as far as church goes, and he also knows perfect fit as far as friendships go, and he also knows the perfect fit for you as far as spouses go, or the lack thereof. And really what working in his kingdom where it starts is, okay, what is God's will and what is God's wisdom for my life? The other aspect that comes is, okay, 
his power and his pleasure. That if I'm part of his kingdom, what makes his kingdom work is not me, it's God's word, it's his son, it's the gospel, it's the power of the gospel, it's his Holy Spirit working in us. This is what makes things move. If I'm not moving with him, I'm resisting him. And so that's why in Ephesians and Galatians, he talks about resisting the Holy Spirit. So I like to use the illustration of it's like surfing. It's not your wave. It might not even be your surfboard. But there's something to catch here that's going to move you from one place to another. And the beauty of being part of God's kingdom is God has a kingdom plan. And when you're part of that kingdom, it is his power and it is his pleasure at work in you that's working good in you, that's making you more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that is sharing that goodness because God's love is a love that gives. It doesn't take. It's not about selfish ambition. It's about selfless giving, okay? And that is what is at work in your life. And ultimately, where does that bring you? It brings God's work in your life, God's fruit, and God's accomplishments in your life. And it's all about his glory. And if you get no credit for it whatsoever, you're joyful and you're happy because you're with the one who loves you and died for you. And you all know that, right? What are the sweetest moments in our lives? The sweetest moments in our lives is when we're with those who love us and we have a chance to be with them, even if it's being in Costco, right? Even if it's shopping in Target, whatever the deal is, it doesn't matter the size of the venue. You understand that word in Proverbs, it's, it's better a, a little bit with the poor than, you know, living in the palaces of the wicked, right? We understand what that is. We've tasted those experiences. We've seen it. And yet, at the same time, we still chase after all of those other things. Well, this is the kingdom that Christ has brought us in. And this is what informs how we think about our careers, our dating, and our work. Because when we come into God's kingdom, it's no longer our career, it's no longer our work, and it's no longer our dating. You have a Father who loves you and knows what's best for you and knows who's best for you or who's not good for you, and he's actively working in your life. And so really it comes down to faith, okay? Now this is, we're talking foundations, okay? And so what I'm challenging you as, as children of God, to think completely different, to start with the Lord rather than the desires of your heart or what makes you feel good or validates you. Because it doesn't take a whole lot to go to a good college and get a great degree and work in a prestigious firm and feel great about yourself and you will see in many of those situations, I had an older brother who went to Yale Law School, Yale undergraduate, worked in a top five firm, and he phoned me one night and he said, I'm working at a firm, they take care of President Clinton. He said, all the partners, I don't know one of the partners who, by the age of 45, they've either had a divorce or a heart attack. I don't want to be one of those guys. Okay? That's the kingdom of darkness, that selfish ambition. And it can work in the church as well. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out, well, this is what the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus has set you free from. Why are you thinking that way? Think this way. Begin with the Lord. Can I have my next slide? What God is doing in your career and in your dating and in your work is he's molding you into the image of Christ. When you get to Genesis 3, you see that God brings a curse when they try and create a kingdom of their own. I'm going to make your married life hard, and I'm going to make your relational life hard, and I'm going to make your work life, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and there's going to be thorns and briars that are, it's going to make your life hard. So I have news for all of us. I don't care how well you choose. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how great your wedding is. I don't care how good a Christian you are, until Jesus comes, your family life will have challenges, which will be hard. Your work will have challenges, which will be hard. Your career and your dating relationships, they're going to have seasons that are going to be hard. The idea that if I do everything right, and I read all the right books, everything, and I'm going to choose well, everything runs smoothly, 
That's based on whose work? Ours. And that's a load of garbage, right? It's Scubalon. But that's the way the world works. That's what we're watching when we watch the playoffs, right? If you make all the right decisions, if you make all the right adjustments, if you do everything right, you win the trophy. But God comes and says, it ain't going to work that way. Because my desire for you is that you would become like my son, Jesus, and that you would know my love and you would know it perfectly. And as long as there's sin in the world, there are going to be challenges in each of these different areas so that you would begin to see that you're not enough. And guess what? Your spouse is not enough either. That's the terrible thing that we do with career work and with dating. When it's based on selfish ambition, we make them idols. We look for our fulfillment in the perfect job, perfect work-life balance, the perfect spouse, perfect dating relationship. And that's an impossible situation for our job, our career, our spouse. God said, it's never going to happen that way. And I'm going to bring challenges in each of those different areas so that you would see the fountain of living water is not your spouse. The fountain of living water is me, the one who created you and the one who died for you. And the object in the end of all of these things, and they're good. Career's good, work is good, dating's good. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's what we do with it and how we approach it that can be terrible. Okay? The end is not your career. You all know that, right? You've seen that in your families, right? Where someone makes career the end, and it's absolutely destructive in the home. Guess what? The relationship and family isn't the end either. That might be a bit better than career, but in the end, that's a tragedy as well. The end, if you're a child of God, is that you would be like Jesus, that you would be like him and with him so that you can know his love fully. That's the end. That's what God is doing in the end. And so it's helpful to go and look at what Jesus has to say about these things. And if you go to the Gospel of John, Jesus has a lot to say about work. Just go to your ESV Bible, punch in work, and see how much Jesus talks about work. And what does Jesus say? And essentially, when Jesus goes through this, he's just taking them back to Genesis. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish whose work? His work. Right? Jesus is here for one reason, to fulfill his Father's will and to do his work. And he does it out of love, and it's a source of joy and delight because his Father's will and work is good. It's for God's glory and for our good. And that's the sweetness in Jesus' life. And so, well, that's, you know, that's the Savior of the world. That's not us. He didn't have to do A, B, C, B, and E. Look, Jesus did a lot of work. You go and you read the Gospels. He washed people's feet. He fed people. He arranged for dinners. He did all the low-end work, okay? The work, the type of work that we look down on. And he did it with joy and delight because it was part of his Father's will and it was part of his Father's work and it brought his life and his goodness into the lives of others, even in very ugly circumstances. What does Jesus have to say about relationships? Well, in Matthew 19, he takes them back to Genesis and he talks about God bringing two people together, creating them in the beginning. And then he says in Matthew 19, 6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so he's pointing out that if you're a child of God, your work is something that God has created you for before the foundation of time he knew it. He's framed you to be in a particular way to do a particular task or job. He's created you, Ephesians will let us know, for good works, his works, okay? And you have a career that God has in mind for you, regardless of where you graduate from college or what your job calling is. God has a career plan for you, and God's ways are better than our ways. And he goes on in Matthew 19 and points out, listen, if God has called you to be married, he knows exactly who you are to be married to. And when you go back to Genesis, which is where Jesus is taking them back to, in Genesis, it, you know, the Lord makes it very clear. He's the one who's shepherding Adam. He's the one who brings Adam to a place where Adam's aware that, hey, I'm not good 
enough by myself to fulfill the task that God has given me. And he not only creates Eve as the perfect complement and fit, but then he brings Adam to the point where Adam can appreciate, oh, wow, she's the one. And it's all God's work working in and through Adam as he walks with the Lord. And this is ultimately the Lord's work in bringing the two of them together. And Jesus basically says, this is a work of God. This is a work of God. Now, this is to be the foundation that informs how we think about our jobs, our career, and dating. And I was like, well, it sounds like eye in the pie. Eye, pie in the sky, excuse me. But ultimately, where is Jesus bringing? He brings us to the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its saltiness, it's no good to be thrown out and trampled on. That the world is to look at you and see there's something different in your marriage, your work, your career, the decisions that you make. And ultimately, the big calling in all of those areas is that you would be an ambassador for Christ. That to your spouse, you are bringing Christ into their lives. To your children, you are bringing Christ into their lives. To your place of work, you are a missionary wherever you are. Whether it's a minimum wage job, or whether it's the most prestigious job in the world, the Lord has called you to be there because there are people he wants you to interact with who he loves and he wants to show them mercy and grace and that he wants them to see in and through you that there's someone and something completely different, that you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, you're not part of the domain of darkness. How do we get there? Okay, how do we get there? Can I have my next slide, please? There's a couple of questions that are worth asking, okay? As you think about dating, okay? As you think about your careers, as you think about your relationships. And these questions are based on not what I want or what I can do best. You know, what, you know when we think of careers too, part of them we think of is, oh, okay, what can, I, what, can I, what can I be the LeBron James in? What can I slam it with? God may call you to serve in an area where you're absolutely terrible. Dads, don't you feel that way when your kids show up for the first time? How excellent do we feel as fathers? Changing those first diapers, putting together the, the strollers, disciplining for the first time. We're catastrophes at it. And yet God lets us do it. Why? Because he's present, he loves us, this is where he's going to grow us. And as you look at how discipleship is, Jesus doesn't come and ask you to be excellent because it's about grace, unmerited favor. You're not qualified for the job. That's the gospel. He comes to you and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's as you spend time with me, I'm going to transform you into what you need to be. I'm going to transform you into the husband you need to be, the wife you need to be, the shepherd you need to be, the father you need to be, because what's going to make you good at it is me, not you. It's not about what you bring to the table. What you bring to the table is sin. What I bring is love and redemption and mercy and grace. Okay, So some of the things as we come in, when we first start thinking about jobs, careers, and dating, we have to think, okay, there's a stewardship. It starts with God has given me this gift. He's given me Christ. What do I do with that? Because I'm going to answer at the end of my career, at the end of my work, at the end of my dating relationship or my marriage. I'm going to answer the Lord. Well, what did I do with Jesus? And so questions to begin asking is, okay, am I walking faithfully with Christ? Am I walking in the light? Am I walking worthy of the gospel? We start with ourselves. Okay, it's the foundation, Right? If you're not walking in the light, if you're not walking with Christ, you're walking in darkness. You will always be functioning out of selfish ambition, and you will always trample over everyone, your wives, your husbands, your children, your church members, your roommates, however it's going to be. It's going to be a train wreck because you're living for what you want. You're living for your expectations. You're living for your desires. And you can throw a few Bible verses in, but it's always going to be the same. And you're going to take that from place to place to place in your job and career. Because the only place that you're really going to find contentment in this life is with Christ. 
Everything else is going to come for a minute or a moment. You have a great job for six months, you get the bonus, you feel great about it, then it moves on, then you get a new employer. It doesn't last. And the same thing goes with your spouses and your relationships. They weren't built that way. And it's unfair to put that responsibility on them. The only one who gives you eternal contentment and joy is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he forgives your sins. And he loves you unconditionally, and he does for you what you can't do for yourself. And so then it's also worth asking yourself, too, if you're thinking about dating. Is the person I'm thinking about dating, is he or she walking in the light? Are they walking with Christ? Are they walking worthy of the gospel? And this leads us to the second question. Is there unrepentant sin? Is someone stuck in an area of unrepentant sin? Whatever it happens to be. Ensnared in pornography, males or females, okay? A a sharp tongue, okay? Persistent patterns that haven't been repented of. Because when you come into a relationship or you come into a workplace, all those things get exposed. Coworkers see it, right? Other people see it. And so we've got to ask, look, first in my life, is there something there? Because if it's there, I'm going to bring that into the relationship. There's no point in saying, this person's a great Christian, I want to date them. If there's something in my life, I need to address it with the Lord first. Now, we're not saying to you that you need to be perfect before you start dating. No one's perfect, right? No one except Christ. But are you walking in the light, 1 John? Because if we're walking with Christ, his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, right? And he cleans us up and he takes care of us and he makes sure that direction is going towards Christ. What's the direction? Where is it going? Or are we stuck in a particular way? We've got to ask that of ourselves. You've got to ask that of the other person. What's the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Am I growing in Christ? Is there love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness, kindness? Is that the trend of my life? Is that the trend in the person I'm thinking about? What's growing in my life? I jumped a question. Fruit or thorns? Okay. What's coming out of my life? What's coming out of this person's life? What do we see? What comes out of their mouths? Out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Then as we think about both of them, will this opportunity, stewardship, right? Will this opportunity, this job, this career, Is it something that is going to draw me closer to Christ or is it going to bring me further away? How about this dating relationship? Is this dating relationship a relationship that is drawing me closer to Christ or bringing me further away? Now, in premarital, if you guys come in for premarital, some of the folks who have been through it, maybe you'll recall, when folks come in, they sign and they do a premarital application. And on that premarital application, I make the statement, hey, the church reserves the right at any time to say we're not going to go through with this. Based on what? Based on if there's unrepentant sin or just based if we think it's not good. What are the times where we say, hey, we're not going to do this? If this relationship and the fruit of this relationship persistently is sin, okay, and it doesn't have to be even couples sleeping together, though, yeah, if you can't keep your hands off one another and it's going in that path, we'll say, hey, time out here. But over and above that, let's say, let's say there's unkind words. Let's say there's arguments. Let's say there's conflicts that are escalating that are not being resolved. The elders will come in and say, look, you need to make things right before the Lord rather than moving forward and trying to make a marriage happen. Because it ain't ever going to happen. Because there's someone in this marriage who's more important than your spouse or your fiancé or the person you're dating. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're offending him. You're grieving him. You're breaking his heart. You're resisting his spirit. And so we need to stop because there's something greater at stake. Your eternal salvation, your relationship with the Lord. Similarly with a career, 
yeah, you could be making all the money in the world. We know it when it comes to our wives and our children. People are aware that if your wife's not happy, your kids aren't happy, they're never around, some guys will start to think, maybe I should think about a different job. Maybe I should think about a different career track. As successful as this is, as much money as this is, as great as this is, it's tearing up my home life, and I'm going to lose my marriage, or I'm going to lose my family. I better stop, right? At least sometimes the light bulb comes off, not always. But even more so before as we think of careers, how about our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the people of God? If a career or our work is going in the trajectory and path where it is destroying our relationship with the Lord and we can't handle it or it's destroying our relationship with the people of God, we have to ask ourselves what's worth more. So in everything you're looking at as you evaluate your career, as you evaluate your work, as you evaluate your dating relationships, as you walk along and as you consider, you need to really consider, okay, where, what is this going to do? It's a stewardship. I'm going to be accountable to the Lord. What am I doing with the life he's given me? And as you walk through it, you have to reevaluate and say, okay, is this going in a direction where I'm growing in Christ in this relationship or this workplace? Or is it actually happening? I'm in my Bible less. I'm praying less. I'm having desires and bitterness or aspirations or all manner of things that are coming in. And so I've had the unpleasantness of seeing this, right? Of seeing people who choose a job or make a job transfer because it pays significantly better and things seem significantly better and they're in a place, in a workplace with colleagues and peers where after a season you see what's coming out of their heart is nothing but covetousness, greed, and discontent. And you're just saying, look, this place might be okay for some folks, but for you clearly where you're at, this is destroying your faith. And then we see things on the other side too, don't we? Where someone takes a job which is for significantly less money, significantly less prestige, but for whatever reason, that's a place where, they, where God chooses, where they have a service, they have a ministry, and they begin to flourish, and they grow in Christ. Now, in sum total, as you look at this, you need to consider Psalm chapter 1. Okay, can I have my final slide? Oh, I'm way over time. I apologize. Just one last thing on those questions. Well, how do we know those things? That's why God's put you in a local church. These are the things that you ask shepherds about. These are the things that you ask your friends about, local members, other people. Hopefully, when we love one another, too, and I've had to say this to people, I've had to come alongside people and say, hey, you know what? I don't think this relationship or this work situation is good for you. It just seems that you seem a lot more in the flesh in this particular area, okay? Psalm 1 makes the point that if you're anchored in Christ even though it's Old Testament, that's where it's pointing. You're going to flourish no matter where you are. Good job, bad job. Good church, bad church. Now, that doesn't mean we go looking for bad churches and bad marriages and bad jobs. But the point is, if our hearts are filled with the love of Christ, if our ultimately our desire is to please the Lord, okay, we're going to want to learn from Jesus. We're going to be learning and praying his word. We're going to be learning to trust and obey him. And we're going to be repenting on a regular basis. We're going to be serving the Lord with joy and thanksgiving, regardless of what the task is. And we're going to want to be as far away from anything that's going to separate us from Christ. Now, I know that sounds theoretical, but that applies to our relationships, you're not going to want to be in a relationship that's going to take you away from Christ. You're going to have a sixth sense and an awareness, even if you can't put your finger on it. Seen folks get together, can't put their finger on it. What is it? 
something there. They decide to back off. And at the end, it turns out, over time, you just see in the path of the other person that they couldn't put their finger on it, but something came out that was, look, this person wasn't walking with the Lord, despite the fact that they gave big at church. And they showed up, and they did all the right things and said the right things. Flip side is, when I got uh, engaged to Julie, my brother freaked out. He was an unbeliever. How long have you known this person? Who is this person? Well, he's not a believer. You know, the, the way it works in the world is you date someone for two or three years, you live with them for two or three years, and then you sort of figure out if you really know them, and you sleep together with them to make sure you're physically compatible with them. And at the end of that, if it's all still good, and the finances work out, then maybe you get married, right? You handicap the situation. You know, I've known her for six months, but I know her pastor, and I know the people in her life, and I know she loves the Lord. And, you know, it's unheard of. You wouldn't think of that. But once again, if we're walking with the Lord, you will see more clearly than if you're walking in the world. And that's really the big problem with many of these things. We can't see clearly. So we need the Lord's help to help us see clearly. And I put this on to say, look, these are the habits that we need to cultivate in our relationships even before we start dating. These are the things that we need to cultivate in our ministries with one another. These are the things that we need to cultivate in our work. You have the opportunity each morning you wake up to read your Bible, to pray with the Lord, and to pray for all your coworkers. He's put you there because you're in a mission field. There are people in your job who he plans on saving, and there are people in your job he plans on exposing. That's his job, that's not yours. But you have an opportunity, like Daniel did, to pray three times a day at lunch and in the evening before you go to bed. Your work is a place of the mission field. You're called to be an ambassador for Christ. Our relationships that we're in are to be the same. You're to serve the Lord with joy and gladness. And if you are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. If you're delighting in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And so... If you're following the Lord, if it's his desire for you that you would be married, he's going to bring you alongside the person he has created for you. If it's his decision that you shouldn't be married, he's going to do the same. And you're going to have to trust him with that, that maybe that's his wisdom and that's his call for you. But at the end of the day, he knows what's best. He loves you perfectly, and he's going to get you to where you need to be. So I love telling the story about how Julie and I got connected. And you probably heard it five million times, and I never bore of telling people. I was at Grace Community Church, and I had friends who used to come and say, oh, Grace Community Church, Mark, if you can't find a date here, 8,000 people, man. It's like, what's your problem, right? Okay, well, Mark Chen had a hard time finding a date at Grace Community Church, right? And then you're there, and then I also had a brother who used to come to me and say, oh, listen, Brother, he said, you know, you better start doing the online dating thing. Because, why? It's because you really don't fit the demographics at Grace Community Church. So it's like big donut hole here for you, right? On and on, it goes on. You go like that. So what are you going to do? Are you going to function out of selfish ambition? You know, any number of the seminarians, they will go to the college ministry because that's where, you know, major odds demographic is going to happen in your way, right? But the verse that I always cherished was seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And God put me in a ministry where there were hardly any young people. It was an older ministry. And that's where he ended up mentoring me, shepherding me. It was, it was as far as dating went, complete dead end. Okay. At the end of the day, I prayed to the Lord, and you should. You should pray for your job, your career, your spouse. You should pray for those things whether you have them or not. Come to the Lord. If those are the desires of your heart, take it to the Lord and say, Lord, make it clear where you want me to work. Make it clear what career you want me to have. Make it clear what type of a spouse I should be considering and looking for. At the end of the day, how I got connected was I was serving. Kurt Gephardt came to me. There was a young shepherd who was dying of brain cancer. The doctors weren't taking very good care of that person. And Kurt said, would you look out for him and his mother, single mother? He said, okay. 
went to one of their doctor appointments, worked with some of the other shepherds, okay? One of the other men who was working there said, oh, there's this person I know. Would you like to meet them? I said, fine, okay? The person who he tried to set me up with was a friend of Julie's who did not want to marry anybody who was considering the ministry. Sent me an email. Are you considering the ministry or are you going to continue as a physician? How desperate are you going to be? Okay? On my end, I'm saying. I was like, you know, just let her know. I want to go to Ethiopia. I have 12 kids, start an orphanage, basically sell the purple Mercedes and the white eyeglasses and all my Prada and Gucci. Just let her know it's going to be austerity measures, right? So she didn't want to go out with me. Surprise, surprise, right? But then she pawned me off on Julie, okay? But I have a friend, okay? And so when we get together with the folks at seminary, they're all shocked I'm married and have kids because they never thought this was going to happen, okay? I was the old maid. It was, it was never going to happen, all right? But I, I tell you this to say, look, if we're always gunning for work, career, and they become idols, you will always be discontent. But if you're walking well with Christ, your life is going to be fruitful. You're going to be like that man or woman who's planted by rivers of living waters. And even when it's hot, you're going to produce fruit. And you're going to be in the right place. And if God chooses for a season and time like he did for me not to give me those things, okay, there's a peace in knowing, look, I'm walking with Christ. If, I, if he chooses that I'm not going to be married or not going to have a family or not going to have the ministry that's his decision. He knows what's best for me. This is where I'm going to honor him. Because on the other side, while I was single, I was told at, at Grace by a friend of mine, I said, what you know, should I, th I be thinking? Ministry. He went and said, listen, you're single, you're over the age of 30. The only people they're hiring who, for pastors who are single are under the age of 30 for children's ministries. They don't want a guy who's older than 30 because they're worried about all those crazy things that are in the Southern Baptist Church. So he said, so you should go in the mission field and you should work as a physician. I said, I, I walked away from all of this and I walked away from the medical career and I went to seminary so I can work as a physician overseas. He said, listen, I'm not telling you that it's right. I'm just telling you the way the Christian world functions. That's kind of where you fit in, okay? And then he said, okay, well, look, if that's what God wants for me, he knows what's best. And so the call for you, really, if there's two things, is to pray, 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 pray. Enjoy the Lord. And if you do, you will be a great witness in your work, your career, and in your dating relationships.